So, Connor, of the Big Ten coaches who were in the conference for Kirk Ferentz's first year at Iowa, there are more coaches who have passed away than are still actively coaching in any regard whatsoever. Oh, man. Like, Indiana's coach at this point. Who do you think was Indiana's coach at this point in time? Mallory, right? Cam, or was Cam Cameron. Okay, I thought Kirk was there for longer. But still, Cam Cameron. I, oh, Oval, let's go. What is your feeling about Iowa? Like, Indiana and Iowa don't have a ton of, like, memorable football crossover. Nope. You know, there's not... I, I couldn't tell you a single Indiana-Iowa football game of consequence. So, like, what, how do you feel about them? Well, I remember them from this past year because Iowa had a great uh, women's basketball season. Mm-hmm. Yep. Finished second in the conference to Indiana. So it's cool they're the second-best <laughs> team in the conference. That was cool for them. That's what I that that's probably the, the biggest run in recently. They stuff the men's team in a trash can about once a year. Mm-hmm. Uh this is a basketball podcast, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've nailed it. Yeah. Fran scores about 95 points in one of his, or from one of Fran's sons scores uh-huh. about 95 points. Or uh, Murray Twin. I don't know, man. Uh, football, I can't remember anything of significance, okay. really, to be honest with you. Are you ever jealous of the Iowa experience? Like the steadiness of it? Do you understand what I would give to go seven and five or eight and four every year? <laughs> legitimately I, I had a friend the other day who came in and he was like all i want six wins every year is that too much to ask and yes that is too much to ask but i am jealous of that experience um uh, in football in particular regardless of the points scored or not scored they still they still get to go to a bowl every year which is yeah. valhalla for me yeah there is a uh there is something that gets lost in making fun of iowa which is that what what they have built there is something that a lot of lot of other fan bases would be like, that's a huge improvement over what we no have doubt. to deal with. Um, if memory serves, Iowa was one of the first Big Ten schools that was part of the home field experience. Is that right? They're, they're certainly uh, one of the earlier yeah. crew, right? They were the third Big Ten school after Indiana and Purdue. So we've always loved Iowa fans. Always had a great time with them online, uh, notwithstanding my women's basketball barbs. But... Um, yeah, they were. We launched them very early on. They have a lot of fun. Herky does a lot of different uh, sports, so we get to have a lot of fun. Yes, uh, portraying him, throwing a football, running with a football, wrestling, playing basketball, golfing. It's uh, Herky's great. Herky's uh, a hawk for all seasons. Truly, he, he really is. What do we have going on at Home Field Apparel this week for folks who are listening to this podcast when it comes out? Homefield this week, we just released Kent State, which was awesome, um, on Thursday, this past Thursday. Had some nice, uh, too many C-plus level Dan Flashes jokes there with Kent State. Um, lots of patterns, all that good stuff. But uh, that drop happened Thursday. We dropped Kansas, Kansas State, Mizzou. That, those three schools are always fun. They get after it in the mentions, and they never fail to do so. And uh, this upcoming week, we're actually done with the year of refreshes. So we have a drop on Tuesday for the uni- Chicago's finest school. Shout out No Escalators, University of Illinois, Chicago, <laughs> <laughs> the Flames. And uh, then we have an upcoming huge college football campaign that I'll have more on next week. But uh, stay tuned. Yes, we are stopping refreshes. We're pivoting a bit. 
to a really concentrated two-week college football campaign, but I'll leave it at that. Okay, I love a buried lead. Um, Speaking of buried leads, it's time to talk about the Iowa offense with our guests. Here they are. What's up, y'all? Adam Kramer, uh, writing at Bleacher Report. I have a podcast because there's not too many podcasts out there in No Punts Allowed at Twitter at Kegs and Eggs. And I have been an Iowa fan for too long, 25-ish years. I spent time at Iowa. I've had my heart broken by Iowa. I've had great joy and jubilation uh, with Iowa. So I cover college football, but I can't help but quit Iowa along the way. Hi, I'm Lucy Rodine. I am a University of Iowa graduate and a lifelong Iowa fan. Can't seem to get rid of it. Um, I talk about Iowa professionally for Metal Arc Media and the Dan Levitard Show. And you can follow me at Twitter at Lucy X, whatever, at Lucy underscore Rodine, R-O-H-D-E-N. Patrick Vint, uh, Iowa native, two-time Iowa grad, former founder of Blackheart Gold Pants and Go Iowa Awesome and current purveyor of the Hawkeye State Substack. Can you explain America Needs Farmers? Okay, yes. So I actually had to take a class on this at Iowa. Um, I took a not real major there. And so America Needs Farmers started back in the 80s, I believe, when Iowa football was really, really good. It was like the Hayden Fry era. And there was the farming crisis in Iowa. They were about to play Michigan. It was 1v2. And so that season with the farming crisis going on, they put these A&F stickers, America Needs Farmers, to bring awareness to the farming crisis. And it's stuck ever since. And now it's like a cool little logo that people just wear for aesthetic reasons. It's an old Hayden Fry thing from back in the 80s. Hayden being an old farmer, just wanted to throw a little bit of support to the the farmers of Iowa during the farm crisis, but it's been turned into a complete marketing ploy by the mm. by Iowa in the last 10, 15 years. So Iowa doesn't have an ag program. It's not Iowa, the ag it's not the ag school in the state. It's not the ag school. Iowa State's the ag school. Iowa has zero ag program. And so America needs farmers. It's not like, by the way, we're the farmers. It's just like, hey, we recognize you're farmers and you like us. And so we recognize that we need you. But they have they have completely used it to basically just anger Iowa State fans nonstop for the last decade plus. Uh, Does it work? It works amazingly well. I get into a fight with somebody every year about why Iowa should get to use ANF rather than Iowa State. and, you know, I, I wrote like last week about this a little bit. They, because Iowa doesn't have a, an ag program and because Iowa's the liberal arts college, the, the writer's college of the state, right. it doesn't really connect with like the rural farm guys very much anymore mm-hmm. on a, like a cultural or political level. Um, but the games are all just geared toward farm stuff. It's like, yeah. there's farm bureau everywhere. There's, you know, and so, uh, the ANF thing is just one more brick in that wall of, we know we need your support in order to keep this program running. We're going to be as friendly to farmers as we can, even though none of us are farmers. Yeah, they are the ag school. So they saw this and they were like, whoa, I would like to get on in on that. So, like, you know, 20 plus years later, they were like, America has farmers. They did AHF. And they were like, they're never going to be able to tell that, that we didn't come up with that. They'll never be able to. But that- so... That's how that, they jumped on. That hasn't really stuck in the same way that the ANF has. No, and they always are like, we didn't copy you. There's, we did not do that. They did. And so it's they're trying. They're doing a good job, but they are the ag school. Iowa right. is not an ag school, and I have to explain that to people all the time. What is Iowa nice? My dad 
just attended like the John Deere classic. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and not a guy that's logged a lot of hours in Iowa. And he came back and he's just like, wow, like people are nice there. Right. Like just a natural observation of Iowa niceness. And that's kind of stuck with me. So there is just a sense. And I think the connection to football team often really starts for me, a connection to a city or a place mm-hmm. and, a, and, a, and just people. And look, there are certainly people in Iowa that aren't nice. Like there are everywhere else, but I, you know, being around the big 10, Wisconsin is a great campus. There are great campuses across the country. There is just a genuine kind of family-ish vibe that is hard to really pinpoint, but you just kind of know it when you see it, that you feel there. And you feel it when you're on campus. You feel it when you're around Iowa City. And it's it's warm. It's comforting. And, it's, and it is very real. But it doesn't mean that there are not nice people and nice vibes all around it. But if you've lived it, you can kind of vouch for it. I think that would be the best way to put it. The Iowans are so friendly. They're so freaking friendly. And like, I was born in Iowa, but I was not raised there. So like, it wasn't anything I realized till I went back there for school. They're nice all the time. If you need anything, they'll help you. If your tire's flat, they'll change it for you. If you you need $20, they're going to give it to you. They're so friendly all the time to the point where you're like, hmm, Maybe I should watch out for this. Maybe this is a little too friendly. Does that extend to the Iowa experience online, though? No, they're very mean online. That's why they're so nice in person, because they get it all out on the Internet. So they're only kind when you meet them in real life. I mean, I guess, like, that's maybe one of the healthiest ways to use the Internet is to be a better person in the real world. In the real world? Yeah, they do that a lot. They get it all out. If we're talking about, like, statistics, offensively statistics, um, Sometimes no, but sometimes yes. Iowa nice kind of morphs through social media to Iowa nice-ish. Okay. And Iowa, <laughs> Iowa, Iowa witty. And um, no, it's a little bit different, like shaking somebody's hand through Twitter and shaking somebody's hand through person because mm-hmm. Iowa fans have seen some things, right? They have. And that is that is part of the badge of honor in being a fan of Iowa football is like you've been through it together. So it's it's Iowa nice and like Iowa beaten down, Iowa struggle all of it uh, in being a fan of this football team. That being said, like when my collection of people I follow, which is all over the place now, right? With, with Twitter or whatever we're calling it. Like a lot of them are just people, fans of Iowa that I've followed for like over 10 years Mm -hmm. that get pissed off at games and, and celebrate recruiting wins. And it's like a collection of people, a sector that I don't follow anybody like that. But I'm still there and I still care and I, I want to do it. And it. It's also an interesting question when you talk about this, like where sort of sports media and I got to air quote that because that's just ridiculous. <laughs> I, I hate this discussion. Like if you follow a team or if you like a team, you can't write about them or you're sure. not. So like that is such. We're, we're I would never. I, I would never <laughs> yeah, do yeah, such a thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know exactly what I mean. So with Iowa, like it is sort of a Iowa nice and yet misery sort of loves company. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think we are currently. Uh, online. What is your earliest crystallized memory of Iowa football? So my Iowa football thing is a little bit weird in that I've been an Iowa fan since before I can remember, but Mm -hmm. it's been primarily on the basketball side. When I was a kid, my dad was a basketball coach. Um, My grandparents loved Iowa basketball. My little parlor trick for them when I was like five years old was to name the starting five for candy. Um, So I was like heavily into Iowa basketball. I wasn't so much Iowa football at the time because I lived 10 miles from the Nebraska border in the early to mid nineties, which meant that everything was Nebraska. So really my favorite team every weekend was whoever was playing Nebraska. And then Iowa was kind of a close second during that time. But um, my earliest memory of Iowa football was, was 
the uh, like the early like the 1991-92 Rose Bowl run, which was a weird run because they had basically three ties the year before, which mm-hmm. was completely bizarre. And then they were not that particularly good the two years before that. And then they went on kind of a miracle run to the Rose Bowl where they got trounced by Washington again. Um, but uh, that's about as early as it gets for me as I was about 10 years old and, and watching that team. The season that I really fell in love with Iowa football was the 2009 season, okay. which is not indicative of what Iowa football is at all. That season was wild and weird. We were scored when Ricky Stanzi's out there having a good time. Like, that's not Iowa football. But that was probably the season that was my most distinct memory is for some reason the 2008 Outback Bowl against South Carolina. Okay. Sure. Nothing special. Just remember that. <laughs> I think it was me like acknowledging like, wow, this is where Iowa belongs. Uh-huh. Tampa. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> but the 2009 season was really the season where I was like, wow, I love Iowa football. It's what made me like fall in love with college football. Like one time I got really drunk at the Big Ten championship game a few, I guess, two years ago. And I ran into Ricky Stanty and I like pretty much started crying and telling him this. And he was like, OK. <laughs> Cool. And I was like, you don't get it, man. You changed my life with that team. And he was like, all right, fine. But yeah, that 2009 Iowa team, that Michigan State game will always like live in my mind of the the fourth and goal, Stanley to McNutt. That's, it's crazy that that was like Iowa football. But in, in, in a weird way, it's also very representative of Because, you know, to take Ricky Stanzi, he sort of has this like Iowa folk hero. This is oh, not yeah. somebody who went on and it's like, oh yeah, the guy who won three MVPs in the NFL. Like, it's and the, I don't say that to to diss him or anything, but even the great Iowa teams have like an inherent Iowaness yeah. about them. If that makes sense. I mean, this is a man who went on won the Orange Bowl and was like, I want to talk about America right now. Like, how more Iowa can you get? <laughs> Uh, it was just such like a, it was a very Iowa team in the sense of like not, you wouldn't really look at that roster and be like wow someone's really really talented it just happened to be a good Iowa team where everything kind of came together and it was awesome it was a great time I miss it quite a bit so they're both negative uh, <laughs> perfect so before I was in college I remember being at and I think this was 2000 ish 2001 Marquise Walker at Michigan. And I don't know if he was awesome. And I remember I was winning and Michigan came back and in the back of the end zone, you should, people should go watch this. If they haven't, he makes a one handed catch in Kinnick. It's one of the more ridiculous catches truly. And I know this is like a hyper, you know, hyperbole time of like greatest catch ever. It's one of the greatest catches ever. And he comes down and Iowa loses. And I remember walking out of that stadium feeling horrible, um, like feeling nauseous. Like you've invested so much, I'm younger. I'm learning what disappointment feels like. I know it now, but that helped. And I remember like, even through the disappointment, I was hooked. I was like, I, the fact that I feel this is important. Like the fact that I care this much is important. Seneca Wallace. Again, I go to, I go to negatives. Watching him do these amazing things was incredible and like heartbreaking all at the same time. So Somewhat symbolically, like my biggest, my fondest, I don't want to say fondest, but what what made me an Iowa fan was losing Mm -hmm. and losing spectacularly. And I I think other fan fan bases could resonate with that. So, But watching Bob Sanders and watching Chad Greenway and Abdul Hodge and Matt Roth, who I used to stand in behind at the Quiznos line and just be like, my God, (laughs) that is a a human being right there, right? Watching, Watching guys that were largely under recruited 
and guys that came in and became like all-time college and even all-time NFL players. That was cool. So through the losses and then seeing just this lineup of crazy, crazy gifted players that they were able to develop, the tight ends. But really, to me, I go back and it starts with, you know, losing horribly and then all of a sudden saying, I I guess I want more of this. Mm -hmm. And and, Mm -hmm. and it was on. What is more important in a given Iowa season, beating Iowa State or winning Floyd of Rosedale? It depends on where you live. Okay. Um, and and that also goes now for Nebraska. So if you are, if you're basically in the the northern tier of the state, like my dad grew up 15 miles from the, the Minnesota border. Mm-hmm. Floyd of Rosedale means everything. That's the be all end all for him. If you're in Des Moines or central Iowa, it's Iowa State. If you're on the East Coast, it's kind of a mix of Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa State. And if you're about the western third of the state, it's anymore, it's Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Like So I currently live in Omaha, so it's definitely Nebraska for me. But really, if you get anywhere to about two-thirds of the way to Ames, it's pretty much Nebraska at this point. And then it really depends on where you are. I've lived in all of those spots, and so my most important game has moved as I've moved right. over the years. Um, when I lived in Eastern Iowa, I lived and died with Floyd, and then I moved to Des Moines, and Iowa State was the be-all, end-all, and now it's the Nebraska game. I have not seen Iowa lose that game since I was in high school, um, and that was actually a long time ago, despite what it looked like, um, quite a long time ago. So I would honestly say beating Iowa State is more important because when we do lose, which I've seen several times, it hurts my feelings mm-hmm. and every it hurts everyone's feelings where I think the few times we've lost to Minnesota where I've been like, you know, aware of it. It's been like, eh, whatever. We'll win for the next eight straight. Like we got to drop one. I think most Iowa fans right now are kind of done with Iowa state. Okay. Uh, and I'm interested to get the vibe of this. It's, it's, it's gotten to a point where it's like tense and I don't think either side really enjoys this. And it'll be interesting amid conference mania, you know, what what happens here? And and so I'd go Floyd. But the Iowa State one is really interesting because if you if you look and you take the pulse of people right now and they said, you know, we're all of these rivalries are, are ending or being altered or are we going to keep Oregon, Oregon State? Mm-hmm. Or are we going to keep these games? And if people said Iowa, Iowa State is ending, I think most fans would be like, you know what? Let's take a little break here. Like, let's. Like, this isn't good for us, okay? Like, this isn't good for you. Yeah, like, the games are weird. The games are often manic. They end in like punts, you know, hitting off people's backs, and and like it. It's a lot, man. Like, it's a lot. So, I think Floyd would be my answer. But more importantly, it's just a rant. Like, I am really curious what the state of Iowa, Iowa state is in people's minds. Cause I know I'm kind of like dreading this. Mm-hmm. I, I am every year. I'm like, Oh God, where is it? Oh no, it's not home. Oh God. It's going to be horrible. The under's going to like, I'm just like, I don't look forward to it. And yeah. maybe that's just doom and dreaded me, but it, yeah, that's kind of where I am. Has that changed over the years? Like, do you feel differently about the Iowa state game now than you did maybe 10 or 20 years ago? I do. Absolutely. Like Seneca Walsh, that was exciting. Mm-hmm. Like that was cool. And there was something, there was a punch to it. I mean, this game, it's El Asico. Like this doesn't have it. Like this game is a, a mockery to the people. And for good reason, because it's like, even the internet's like, oh, geez, like this is on. Honey, you want to come see this train wreck? Like, come on, <laughs> come here. Look at these two teams. They're, they hate each other, I think. But God, they suck. I mean, that's like where we are with this rivalry. We are like a, 
like dance clown. Like that's what we do. <laughs> so we dance. It feels like it's going to change soon because I don't know how long this rivalry is going to last. Matt Campbell has been awesome for this rivalry because if you would ask Iowa fans like 10 years ago, they would be happy never playing Iowa State again just because it really didn't add much to it. It's like a very heated but not heated rivalry at the same time where there's like a lot of hatred in it. And, you know, you really want to beat State. You really want to beat Iowa. But it happens the second week of the season. So then you're just like over it. And it's just like done. Uh, there's there's still very much a little brother thing to it, even though they've been relatively successful. I mean, we, we did win like six in a row recently, which helped a lot because for a while there was about 50-50. Um, but there's absolutely a big brother, little brother thing, not unlike – Ole Miss, Mississippi State, or Michigan, Michigan State. It's mm -hmm. still very much there. They they fight that over and over for obvious reasons, but that's pretty much where Iowa sits on it. We should win is always the thought. And there's a significant part of the fan base that doesn't want to play that game anymore because they see it as a no-win situation. If Iowa wins, Iowa's supposed to win. If Iowa loses, it's the death of the season. And it's always the second game of the year, so uh, that doesn't always help either to have a, a big fat L from your little brother right away when you first start the year. Is it a reliable indicator or tone setter of what an Iowa season is going to look like, or is it an outlier? No, no, it's completely outside of it. I mean, we've had years where they've lost that game and been perfectly decent in Big Ten play. We've had years where we've won that game and all hell's broken loose in the second half of the season. It's It really is just a one-of-a-kind game because they they get up for it. Iowa gets up for it. I'm not going to sit here and try to say it's not important to the Iowa players either, but you know they get up for it, and it turns into a far more of a – like an emotional fight than it is anything that really resembles a precursor to how your season's going to go when you're seeing, you know, Rutgers two weeks later. Right. It's not, it's not a tactical chess match. It's more <laughs> right. a, a feelings wrestling match. Yes, that's exactly right. What do Iowa fans expect from the football program at this point? Again, I think it depends on generations to a certain extent. Yep. There are the old, old school fans who remember the Frank Lauterbur like pre-Hayden days, who just think that everything is gravy because those teams were so bad that if you win eight games, it's the greatest thing that could ever possibly happen. And, and Kirk has done that so consistently that he's always got them on board. Um, fans of my age always remember on the basketball side when they fired Tom Davis thinking they could be better and then they weren't better and they went into the wilderness for 10 years on that front too. So there's always a certain amount of that from us too. I think younger fans want to see at least a more frequent bump to – national relevance than what we necessarily get. But if you go, if you're at Iowa and you go eight and four and get a nice, pleasant, you know, Southern bowl game over Christmas break, every, you know, three or four years, make a, a run for a division title or a, a good bowl game or, or my God, beyond belief playoff, mm -hmm. um, you're using pretty good stead. Um, there have been a few times where where the team has kind of stumbled a little bit and Kirk's got himself in trouble and always writes the ship. And so uh, we're kind of hoping that might happen this year after last year's disaster. But uh, if you can if you can consistently win eight, nine games, you're going to get most Iowa fans on board. There's a certain amount of don't fly too close to the sun. Don't expect too much. Be happy with what you got. More. Okay. Um, but – so I saw a stat and I was not doing research for this. And I don't mean that to offend you or, 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 or to, or to like, but like I saw this randomly on Twitter and mm -hmm. I'll, I'll throw this out. There are 10 teams that have won 70% of their games over the last 
four years. And Iowa is one of them. And I saw that and it's just hilarious because it's Georgia, it's Alabama, it's Ohio yeah. State, it's Notre Dame, Oregon, I forget who it was. Utah was on there. And then there's Iowa. And so I think most Iowa fans are actually pretty content. Now, mm-hmm. last year, like just watching that offense, like we're scarred. You want to see how I got these? Like those are bad. That was bad. And you had the number one defense and then literally the last offense. Like you can't, you can't do that to us. But I think reasonably speaking, most fans are like, I'm pretty good with this. Now, score some more points, entertain me a little bit more, but I kind of know where my hierarchy is. And if I can flirt with a divisional win while we still have divisions, or I can win nine or 10 games and be in a decent bowl game, hopefully not Memphis again, like well, let's move it around. Like mm-hmm. I, I would, I would assume that people are okay with that. The other part of this is, You've had like one coach, you've had like two coaches for like a thousand years, right? right. Like right. you don't know, like if this job, when this job opens, assuming Brian Ferentz doesn't just get it, like it's going to be one of the more interesting job searches ever because we're going to like reset the deck. And so we don't kind of know, like, what do other people think the expectations of Iowa mm-hmm. are? And so I, um, I think most people feel like largely they're being met and when they're not being met like kirk ferentz just like wins 11 games like this is like like guys hit the switch sound the alarm we have to win <laughs> like new contract incoming like that's that's what happens but i think most fans reasonably say i'm good with this we expect every year eight and four and we mm-hmm. get it every year i think what the issue is is people want to expect more but they mm-hmm. know that they can't like we expect exactly what we get. Why can't they though? Why like what is what is holding Iowa fans back from saying no, we want to be at the level of Penn State or Michigan or you know, Ohio State's like that's a and Michigan frankly is kind of a lofty thing. Yeah, but what I'm is holding what is holding Iowa back from saying like no, we want more than what we're getting? Honestly, it's this like mindset of like Kirk Ferentz has won a lot since he's been there. You know, look at all the draft picks. We should just be happy with what we have. Mm-hmm. And this is the whole mindset of like, why why are we going to complain when we won 10 games two years ago? And but we didn't play anybody. Why would we complain when that happens? So it's like this, just this never ending loop of being like, you know, we're not bad, but we're never great. And then, you know, every five years, Kirk Ferentz pulls this amazing season just right out of thin air. And we're like, you know what? We're back. We're back. This is awesome. And then we'll lose to... Uh, Northwestern the next year. And you're like, oh, well, that was fun while that lasted. I will take 2022 season. Your defense was literally the best in the country or, or in the discussion for, right? Depending on how we look at statistics. And if you just were competent offensively or, or below competent, but had a pulse, you would have been, you know, you're, you're probably competing with Ohio State. You're, you're doing stuff in that season that would have been really interesting. I... You know, I was at that Big Ten championship game mm-hmm. when Iowa like was was close to the playoff, right? And in hindsight, it probably worked out better because that Michigan State game was horrible against Alabama, right? So it was maybe a blessing, but like mm-hmm. you were close. So you you got there and it was a big discussion, like what do we do? How do we talk about Iowa, right? Remember all that? Yeah. So I think I think when you look at it, Iowa's like claim to fame is like we do more with less. Mm-hmm. And I would love to know what it would be like to do more with more. <laughs> like, like I, w- I would. So I think it's part of their calling card. But realistically, you're not going to have the best players in the country flock to Iowa City. You're going to recruit the state well. You can go surrounding. And occasionally you go to Florida to get a quarterback. But I, I, think, there's a, I think there's a ceiling mm-hmm. on this program. Um, and they've probably close to it. 
And yet when you have, again, going back to last year, the kind of year that you had and you wonder what if I kind of understand it because they do some things extraordinarily well that other programs just aren't doing. Is the style of Iowa football a thing that Iowa fans embrace and are proud of? Or is it is it sort of this like thing that people want to move on from? I, I think we're very proud of the style because I think when Iowa does their style to the best of their abilities, that's a, like, I don't want to say fun team because fun's a bit of a stretch. But it's that's a, distinctive though. It's, yeah, very distinctive, but it's usually a very good football team. Like if Iowa can manage to score some points, but we've gone so far down this, like, I would honestly say it's like such polar opposites with how well the defense and special teams are all, like, they're so good all right. the time. right. It's so opposite ends that it's like too much at this point. Where if Iowa could just, if he could just make half a change, he doesn't even have to make a whole change. Just like half of a change, man, would things open up. That'd be crazy. <laughs> Averaging what, like maybe 25, 26 points a game? I can't. What? Uh huh. Uh huh. So, yeah, that would be a change. If, if Iowa fans, like, thinking of the Big Ten, this is a road that I think lots of teams have gone down. Like Ohio State's a really good example. Ohio State, you know, now is putting quarterbacks into the NFL all the time and like consistently has some of the most talented wideouts. And that's not necessarily what Ohio State was for a long time. Like they they sort of embraced a more traditional Big Ten brand of football. If Iowa fans sort of were faced with, we can keep playing the way we do, or we can radically change and embrace, you know, the air raid or some more like spread, uh, some spread concepts or whatever. Is there, do you have a sense of like which path they would choose? Hard no. Hard no on that. There's no world where Iowa fans are like, yeah, bring on the air raid. Like that is, no, that's. That is too much. So the, ident- the identity is important. It's a part yeah, did, of the, yeah. the formula. People love that, like, they don't love how it, like, distinct the identity has gotten with the offense. Mm-hmm. Or, like, no one has ever thought of Iowa of, ha- of having a good offense, ever. But no one's ever really seen it be this bad before. And so Iowa fans want to stick to the Iowa identity because it's what works. Because... I was never going to be able to recruit in a way that Ohio State can do right. or even Wisconsin can do when it comes to finding, you know, athletes that are going to be able to, to spread the field. Like, that's just not going to happen. So they need to stick to that distinctive identity, but maybe just not be so bad on one half of it, you know? No, I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, I understand that, like the outside world has its own feelings about, well, let me put a better point on it. I know how I feel about Iowa football. <laughs> and is, is this a situation where Iowa fans are inherently defensive because I'm the outsider and I don't get to criticize that? Or do Iowa fans recognize that the noisy outside criticism has some validity to it? I would say that if you had asked me this question like a year or two ago, people would be like, no, that's just that's just the outside world, you know, wanting to talk about Iowa. My sort of approach to that is when has the outside world ever wanted to talk about Iowa? You know, there's got to be a reason for that. Or I think now 
majority of Iowa fans are very like, yeah, this is really bad. We're aware of how bad it is. And everything everyone's saying is annoying, but it's true. Uh And then there's a small segment that's really, really loud. That's like, well, Kirk Ferentz has won, you know, so many games before. He hasn't won a Big Ten championship in years, but we're not talking about that. But he's won so many games. He's been there forever. What a great guy. And so it's just that balance. But majority of Iowa fans, they know that things are not what they should be. Okay. I think that's kind of one of the geniuses of what Kirk has done. Like he was never going to be the salesman that Hayden was just because he doesn't have that personality. Yeah. He kind of adopted the Dan Gable thing, which was just like, we're just going to be black jerseys, you know, black helmets, kick your ass for for four quarters and hope that it comes out good with a field goal at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that style really serves him well with a lot of the neutral fans in the state and, and keeps them on board much like the ANF stuff we talked about before. And, uh, and so I think that there's a, there's an inherent benefit in keeping that style. Now, if you tell me that they would go, you know, air raid and would win 12 games, I would very quietly take that in a heartbeat. But I'm also one of the minority who still thinks we should be th- you know, at least considering that. There's a, there, there's an appreciation for winning ugly among Iowa fans that doesn't really exist anywhere else anymore. So, so what is the reaction then? When, and you, you know that I'm one of the people who does this. When outsiders look at Iowa, even a good Iowa team, they're like, oh, gross. <laughs> like, how do Iowa fans feel about, you know, liberal elites like myself <laughs> Um, crapping all over Iowa football. They they love it. And frankly, it's it's like it's a badge of honor that you guys don't appreciate how ugly this team is. <laughs> That's that really is what it is. It's like you can't understand how our ugly baby is beautiful to us. <laughs> so I'm helping in a way. Right. It's okay. actually, we we love to hate the guys that hate Iowa football for being Iowa football. So it would. I think what you're saying is that if the national media embraced Iowa as like we love this, we love like what this has become, Iowa fans would, at best, find that confusing and disorienting. Yeah. So there was that run like, two, three years ago where they got to number two in the country. Yeah. And for the first four or five weeks of it, everybody was like Iowa, 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 and then it became oh crap, it's Iowa again. And we were so much more comfortable when you guys all were like, we someone's got to beat Iowa and get them out of the way, so we can't have to worry about this anymore. <laughs> That made us feel so much better about the world. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, if if everybody was to say we're fully embracing Iowa for its, you know, trash football, we would not know what to do with ourselves. <laughs> All right. And I, won't, I won't put you in that situation, like, I promise. It's, it's like, uh, you know, I think Godfrey told me one time that he gets more complaints from Iowa people than anybody else because, you know, he hates everybody's football team, but he seems to really hate Iowa. Like, and everyone really hates Iowa, and that's what we love. I don't know if I'm brainwashed or broken, but I feel a closeness to that football. Mm-hmm. Like, you have a great field goal kicker pretty much every year. Your punter is very good, very good, right? And so this is this is fun. And on social media, it is great. It is like you tee it up, and like this is the Iowa way. You're punting from your opponent's 37 yard line, <laughs> like all of this stuff. And it's and but last year's. Like, it's like you've mastered you, – you like to cook. You like to mess – I know you like to experiment. Like, yeah. And you've mastered what you think your ideal pasta sauce is. And you just – the next time you try – you go too far. Uh-huh. Okay, 
Spencer Petrus, we, we went too far. Okay. <laughs> like, we, like we, we, we went too far and it was, there's too much Iowa in the sauce. There's too much Iowa in the yeah. sauce and that is a health hazard. So mm-hmm. this was like the most debilitating version of a genre of football that people actually do like. And it is very original. And that also we talk about ceilings. It has its ceiling. Like you play a very competent offense and you're, it's probably not going to go well unless your defense you know, forces six turnovers, which they've done again. So I think people do. I do. I think it's it's been so consistent, right? It's not fluky that that people do appreciate the non-offensive touchdowns and things like that. And it is sort of a brand of football and a calling card. And I think people can resonate. The problem is if it goes sideways, and you don't have a competent quarterback, or you don't have an, like an offense, like it's going to be really weird. Look, Wisconsin this year, I think, is going to be a really interesting example. You've brought. The OC over from North Carolina, uh-huh. who who's going to like want to do things with his new quarterback? That's going to be completely stylistically different to what Wisconsin does. They have a two hundred forty pound back. How is that going to feel? Now it may feel very good, right? It may feel very good because here we go, we we can score points. But I think most Wisconsin fans are going to have a little bit of an issue with it because it's so different. It's Iowa, it's an identity challenge. It's an identity. It, it, and by the way, like evolution is good. So part of me is just I'm scared of change and mm-hmm. I like it the way it is. If you told me we're going to bring in a quarterback in OC that's going to score 35 points a game, I'd, I'd probably like that too. But as is, it is a point of pride with Iowa, I think, when it comes to how they play. It, it, my sense is that it's not just because that's how they play, but because to your earlier point, they're largely successful doing so. This is a program that is not sort of, you know, struggling through three win season after three win season. If they're going to bowl games regularly, they're winning double digit games regularly, and they're doing it with this with this throwback um, yes. sort of sort of football sensibility. It's uh, you have to like the narrative of Iowa. And the actual results, and honestly, that's where I see a stat like, hey, there's 10 teams that have won 70% of their games. Even I have to remind myself like, yeah, that's right. We're, we are pretty good. Like if you – it's it's like Nebraska, right? Mm-hmm. Nebraska is going through – it has been going through this identity crisis of, God, if it was only like, you know, can we get the Bo Pelini days back, right? right? <laughs> Horrifying if you're saying that. But that's real. And so the Kirk Ferentz days, I don't know what it will look like beyond it. But I do know it is entertaining in sort of a sadistic, like non-functional like sort of mm-hmm. way. Yeah. And, and it makes for good content, certainly. I know how I feel about Kirk Ferentz. <laughs> but what I don't have a real good sense of is how Iowa fans feel about Kirk Ferentz at this point in time. I would say um, it is it ebbs and flows. All right, I'm going to try and this is like my press release version of how I feel. <laughs> um, I've met him a bunch mm-hmm. and I've I've interviewed him for serious stories and non-serious stories and seen him cry in his office uh, office and I uh, I do think there's a connection there that through all and there's been some stuff beyond even the football stuff we've had some stuff that there's a connection that is I think largely favorable mm-hmm. people would have, even with the disclaimers attached of the offenses and the bizarre, you know, having his son man the offense again with weird stipulation on points they must score. Like there's some things here that you have to navigate. But again, the unknown is so daunting. And it is also strange at a time where everything is changing at like warp speed in the sport, from recruiting to coaching to conferences that like here is the constant for for better or worse. 
I think this, you talk about how Iowa fans feel mostly. I think this would be a really interesting one because I, I think you'll get a lot of really interesting answers. And again, he'll go through a stretch of two years where it'll be underwhelming. Like they need a big year this year, but mm-hmm. lo and behold, they have a schedule that should produce one. They have a quarterback now, we think. They have some new they have some new pieces like, oh, I need a season, I got one. And so that makes it hard. But like Take Ryan Day's relationship with yeah. Ohio State. The yeah. guy wins 95% of his games or whatever, and they hate him. Right? <laughs> like, so how do we treat something like this? There's right. time spent. You've been through some, some things together. What do you do? And so I think it's mixed. I'd say it's largely favorable. But for the people that don't have favorable opinions, I understand that too. Whether it's football-wise or not football-wise, some of that's been earned. I would say it's an incredibly divided feeling. Okay. So I have been... I don't want to say out on Kirk, but pretty much like, hey, you know, 24 years is a long. He's all I've ever known. He was hired like a month after I was born or something. I mean, most most Iowa fans have really only known two coaches. Just crazy. Yeah. That's absolutely insane. And so it's one of those things where it's like most people are happy with him and what what he's done and like that's totally reasonable and I completely you know he's done some amazing things but I've kind of been ready for Iowa to move on especially when I feel like Iowa already has their next head coach like waiting in line um Brian Ferentz you may have heard of him um no 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 kidding that was a joke I'm gonna regret that joke later um LeVar Woods we love him and that's why I want the head coach to be that was not that was a joke America that was a joke it's too late you've already spoken into existence um, even though that's all what we thought was going to happen for a really long time. But I would say, like, it's this mix of Iowa fans being so, like, we love Kirk, that's our guy forever. And then the rest of us, probably the less vocal, but I would say stronger group, is kind of like, hey, the sport's changing, and he's not. He's never going to do it. He likes life the way it is. And that's going to continue to be a problem. What is Kirk Ferentz's legacy at this point? If, if it ends without a huge high or a huge low this season? If he was basically to go out one more year and then say, I'm good, I, I think his legacy still stands as the best coach of program history. Okay. I mean, he, he inherited a mess, and it wasn't necessarily Hayden's fault. Hayden was sick and old and couldn't keep up at that point. But he inherited a mess, brought it back, got a couple of pretty great years out of it, and then occasionally would give everybody the little pop that we need to keep ourselves warm in the winter. Um and if, yeah, given that, that after those first couple of years, there really was only one real significant blip in it when he changed coordinators in, in 2012, um, I think he goes out as the consensus best coach in the history of the program and, and probably is able to, to ride a uh, significant advertising uh, career for the next 10 to 15 years before anybody considers otherwise largely favorable like in in just in terms of longevity there has to be an appreciation for what has been done here in terms of accumulation in terms of being able to kind of sustain success at a reasonable level level across all these different eras where the sport has really evolved and frankly from a recruiting standpoint everything else like i was not in a great position this is the topic with nebraska too I think if you're if you're looking at his Wikipedia page, you're looking down, you're seeing bowl wins, you're seeing, uh, you know, Big Ten championship appearances. You've got the Brad Banks era where I became an Iowa fan, right? Bob Sanders and Chad Greenway mm-hmm. and tight end you. There's some really unbelievable things here that he's done a lot with little back to that. And then you've got some fine print of things that aren't so great. 
And you can stomach those, you think, at least in the moment, because of all the other good things that he's done. I think that um, it's a very different legacy. Like we talk, you know, this offseason, we talk about like Nick Saban and it's like, you know, the, the championships and the accolades. This is different. This is something more personal, I think, to Iowa fans. And I mean that in a good way, largely. And I think ultimately there is a, there is a piece of this that is just so different when you look at just the how the tenures of coaches are now that we're probably not going to see something like this maybe ever again. And so that's unique. And so I think, again, largely favorable, but there's some stuff. There's some fine print here that you're going to have to read and process for yourself. His legacy, the last few years have been tough with, you know, they've definitely done some damage on his legacy, both with things that have happened in the program, you know, Iowa going through a huge scandal, plus, you know, what's happened with his son like his legacy will survive though mm-hmm. i think we'll all be when he leaves it'll be like a a grateful happy goodbye you know i'll be like wow all the good times and just hope people forget all the mean things i've said because that's <laughs> how it's gonna go we're all gonna be like oh we're gonna miss you so much but we did talk shit about you for the last like three years nonstop. That's how I think it ends. People, his legacy will always be positive because he was there for, you know, 20 plus years, which is crazy. And he did help Iowa win more games than you would assume Iowa should have won. What do Iowa fans hold up as their greatest accomplishment? That Rose Bowl team, that Brad Banks, Heisman, like in the mix mm-hmm. it, for people that are older mm-hmm. too, right? So, mm-hmm. so now I'm talking like an older guy. I have to. <laughs> but to me, as weird as it is, like that that nostalgia will be tough to beat. You you know, to me, like when I think of the coolness of Iowa, and you could go back to yes, we were a couple of plays away from being in the playoff against Michigan State. That was a magical year, but that was one ripe with like conversations of like, do we belong? Right? Is I how why is Iowa here? No, that Brad Banks team was actually loaded and it was it was it was like a magical ride as as someone kind of growing into the fandom it was like oh my god like this is actually what it's supposed to look and feel like and there's been moments where you feel something similar but not quite in terms of just general overall excellence and then i think as a whole like that's a specific but i do think I don't know if people care about longevity and consistency back to that word, but I think it's it. There's, there's been some clunkers, but there's been very few clunkers. And so how much pride do Iowa fans take in being a team that in Kinnick, you really don't want to play Right. that no matter who you are, right? Like, no, you don't want to play. Like, that's cool. That is actually in the upper echelon of, of, of performance and teams when you actually look at it. And so on a, yeah, on an individual level that, and on a larger level, I would say it's just, no matter what, no matter how bad the offense is, and it's been bad, this is still a team that if you screw around, they're going to pick you off, they're going to score d- two defensive touchdowns, and then all of a sudden you're like, what the hell just happened? I think the 0-2 to 0-4 stretch, where they were number eight in the country three years in a row, went to the Orange Bowl, um, won two co-Big Ten championships. That's probably the best run and the closest they've gotten to consistent top end play mm-hmm. and that was enough to basically cement kirk for 20 more years i mean right. it, it was it was about as good as it gets um the dirty little secret there is that he basically showed up in 99 put together a line what was essentially freshmen and sophomores and just fed them to the wolves until they got to be good and by the time they hit 02 they were a murder machine and then everything else kind of fell into place from there but um they've never had a chance to be able to do that again because you can't take a one in ten year and still survive so mm-hmm. um 
it, it's worked out well for them in that that context. That's about as close as it's been to consistent great play, and that's probably the best achievement of the program. The only other possibility would be 85 beating Michigan um, on a kick at the end to stay number one in the country for a few more weeks until Ohio State beat them. That was pretty dang close. Non-football answer, they, the way they love and embrace like non-revenue sports, specifically women's basketball wrestling, is insane and like i've never seen a fan base just have that much passion for a non-football sport it's awesome football related they're honestly iowa fans love to talk about nfl draft picks and how many like stars what you know are from iowa which is wild i don't know if there's really a game outside of the 2017 ohio state game that Mm -hmm. iowa fans really just like hold up but that ohio state game yeah they'll talk your ear off about it if you ask what is it about putting draft picks or putting accomplished NFL players into the world that resonates with Iowa fans? It's it's very Iowa. It's very Midwest. It's very like the American dream where you came to Iowa as a two-star and now look at you, you're a pro baller. And that's usually fun, but then it's always the, the realization you're like, man, we probably should have won more if we had all these NFL <laughs> guys here, you know? Um, but they love just like, it's cool for the program too. Every year when the draft comes out, I always get excited for the little graphic. It's like most, te- you know, most players drafted, it's like LSU, Ohio State, Bama, Georgia. Iowa. You're like, yeah, <laughs> got it. We should win more games. What is the pass failure that still stings the most for Iowa fans? That Big Ten. I mean, Iowa, like making the playoff, it was there, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, the, the, the whole do cheering in the press box thing. I remember, you know, I'm in there and I'm covering the game. And I am like, I'm talking to like the SID at Iowa. I'm like, we're going to do it behind the scenes. I have access here, right? Like it was coming together. So you're asking for fans. I'm going to go. It's all about me right now. Uh Um, And I remember just watching that fall apart in a matter of like 45 seconds. And you go from playoff to like getting absolutely murdered in your bowl game. Uh, And it was, it stings because you just, you you know, as an Iowa fan, you're only going to have like a limited number of cracks at this. Yes. You were undefeated despite all of that. And you know, that's probably not going to happen again. Um, Christian McCaffrey would be my other answer in this. (laughs) I had gotten off a plane and I had gotten home and I turn on the TV and he is running like, you know, Super Mario, Golden Star. Like (laughs) this just, this is horrible. Like that was like, like watching that. Um, that was probably the most public, like, oh, my God, we yeah. are so far away that I think I've ever felt. Yeah. The the Big Ten Championship is, is fascinating because in some ways that Michigan State team and that last drive in particular, it had such a, like, you could swap jerseys here and the same thing would happen. Like, it's not... It, it it was watching Iowa lose to a machine that did so many of the things that Iowa does well. Yes. It, it yeah, you were like losing it was a fight to the death with like a spoon. And we lost, okay? Like and we win a lot of spoon fights, okay? We do. We are we've mastered it. Like we will break skin and you will bleed out. And we bled out. And it I remember I drove home from Indy that night and it was like therapy. All my friends they're like they, you know, it was I talked to people for like 3 hours and it's just like I'm sorry, man. Like it it was like one of those moments that you wonder when you'll get an opportunity to do again, if you'll ever get an opportunity. I mean, what was it? Two years ago, they were like the third, second ranked team in the country mm-hmm. for a spell. I mean, mm-hmm. that's again, spectacular collapse as expected. That wasn't the real one, 
But this, you were close. And I guess, yes, you didn't have to play Bama. So that would I have liked to have seen that? I don't know. Kind of, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. a it's like a case test of how would this have gone? Not well. But I, I think that one, because of how close you were to something, an, another echelon, you, you, we talked about like the ceiling. That one, I think, will always resonate as just a what if. And the what if is you would have lost like 40 to 13 and it would have been bad. But still, what if? Connor Cook in 15. I think it's probably Connor Cook in 15. I, they had Michigan State on the ropes to win the conference and go to the playoff and get a murdered by Alabama. I mean, mm-hmm. we're just going to just eviscerated, just not killed off the planet. We would not have cared, but um, I remember I was at that game. It was Indian- Indianapolis for the big 10 championship. We scored on a bomb, the last bomb we ever threw um, <laughs> eight years ago. And, and I remember looking at the clock and thinking two more stops and we win it. And then Michigan State kept the ball for the rest of the game. Yeah, and they had him on fourth. They had him on fourth down, and Connor Cook basically spun, pulled a bush push, and got the first down. They scored a few plays later, and Iowa couldn't recover, and that was the end of it. But I, that's probably the one that sings the most for most Iowa fans at this point. Their their more recent trips to that game have been blowouts. Those have never really been um, uh, that that close, and so that's probably the closest we've been to the mountaintop, at least recently. And and that last Michigan State drive felt so Iowa in its right. execution and in, and in like a lot of those Michigan State teams under Mark D'Antonio like had some similar identities as yeah. what Kirk Ferentz has built. So it's almost like losing to yourself in a weird way. Right. No, you had to kind of tip your hat at the end of it and go like, you know, that's what we would have done if we were in that spot. So congratulations, you get it. And you got to remember that a game that nobody else remembers. The 09 Michigan State game, which damn near killed D'Antonio. Iowa scores on a slant play in the last game, last play of the game to stay undefeated and have all the national people groaning that Iowa's still undefeated and someone needs to beat them. Um, that game still has incredible resonance among the fans, even though it's been 14 years since it was played. So it was like, all right, well, you finally got one back mm-hmm. on us after mm-hmm. all that. That 2010 season was pretty devastating because we came in thinking we were a top 10 team and then lost to like Arizona week three. Um, North Dakota State in 2016 was one of the first games I attended as a student. Mm-hmm. That that one sucked pretty bad. There are a lot of, you're like, a lot of games where you just look and you're like, for real? For real? Are you, are we being serious here? Is this not... So it's kind of tough to pick, but Iowa usually has a handful of those, like two or three every year where you're just like, are you serious? What's interesting is that, and I only just now thought of this, lots of teams have these. They have these games that it's like, it's inexplicable that we lost to this team, or it's inexplicable that we lost to this team in this way. And at most schools, the natural reaction to that is overreaction. It's, we must fire everyone now. We must sort of like immediately change course does that happen at Iowa and because I don't feel I don't feel like I usually see that no it's like it's kind of one of those things where it's like hey if you don't lose to Purdue every once in a while how can you have you know clarity how can you have perspective these are the these are the vegetables of the college football diet you don't have to like them but you got to eat them yeah they give it they take it and sometimes Purdue takes take us so it's one of those things where like I wish that there's never any urgency because over the last five or so years when Iowa has lost a game it's usually been for one specific reason and that has not changed one of the more distinctive elements of Iowa football over the last few years is the wave. 
And I'm curious, I imagine this is a thing that you have participated in. And I, I, I'd like to know like what it feels, we've seen it on television. What is it like to be part of it in person? Um, so I've got a, I got a weird connection in that two ways. One, we did a lot of fundraising for that hospital when they were building it. Mm -hmm. Two, I had kids in the NICU when they were born. And so I've got a certain like children's hospital sort of thing anyway. Yeah. I've never not cried during it. <laughs> like honestly, and I'm, I'm probably, a, I'm, I'm sure there's people who don't, but I always turn around and like get choked up and, and have to basically turn back a little bit early to avoid having just like openly weeping in the, in the stands. <laughs> right, right. Um, it's, it's really kind of incredible. It, it will help when they don't necessarily use Kirk Ferentz's best song or favorite song during it and, and come up with something that's a little bit more like, you know, relevant, but it's still pretty great. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the one feel good before you turn back to screaming at Pat Fitzgerald or whoever else is on the opposing sideline. For Well, good news. It's not going to be Pat. It's not going to be Pat Fitzgerald anymore. <laughs> Damn. I got Fitzgerald one time to turn around and stare me down during the middle of a game. That was fun. <laughs> Who won? But uh, did Iowa win that game? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, Iowa okay. Won. But it was. Uh, okay. So the thing about Kinnick is that the sidelines are very narrow, mm -hmm. and the, the and the opposing fans on the on the visiting side are literally right on top of the other team. So you're maybe ten feet away from the opposing coach at some point. If you say something that's especially egregious, they might hear it and turn around and figure out who it was. That said it. So the first time they ever did the wave, it was actually the first game I covered as a student reporter. Okay. Um, back when I did real journalism. Um, and so I was on the field and I didn't really know what was happening. And like you started to see people do it. And then suddenly like somebody told me and they were like, they're waving the kids in the children's hospital. And I burst into tears. Like it was one of those things where like, I don't think I'm a super sappy person, but it was like the moment just like, oh, I just could not stop crying. And every single time I've gone back for an Iowa game since, which has been quite a few times, like it gets you every single time. Cause it's just, it is such a special tradition and it's like, it's so well-meaning and it's, you know, it warms my heart every single time. We're like, there's not a real way to describe it. Cause it's something like if you're there and you witness it, you're like, Holy shit, this is awesome. Like what a special moment. How lucky might be a part of this? Like, you know, it, it's a little kind of a perspective thing, but not in, you know, like the losing to Purdue way and the like, Holy shit. Like this is, this is what it's about, you know? And that's really special. So, and I cry most times, not as hard as the first time, but I do cry pretty much every time. <laughs> My dad will, he'll get emotional and that is not an emotional man. Oh, I mean, I, I expect that the wave induces emotions in plenty of Iowa fans who are used to sort of like compartmentalizing them in yeah. specific ways. Yeah. It's you'll, you'll feel it. And like when you're in the student section and the drunk kids are crying, you're like, hell yeah, this, this reached everybody. That connection is really neat. And we've done it for a few years now, but I think back to like my coolest connection with the program the first week that happened, I emailed like my contacts and say, Hey, I'd love, I'd love to do this. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'd love to see it. So I got to spend that second home game um, for the first quarter in that children in the, in the top at the children's hospital. Yeah. And it was, I thought we were staying the whole game. Right. And we do the story and it's, I'm, you know, it's one of those, I'll never forget this. I got chills talking about now and you're looking down you're seeing the stadium and you're seeing it from a perspective. Not a lot of people have seen. And that is, you know, afterwards I just drove home. Like I wasn't, I didn't even stay for the game. I got in my car. I think I didn't say a word. I didn't make a call and I just drove home. I had just had my daughter. And I think about that a lot because you talk about like the Iowa 
culture. You talk mm-hmm. about this significance of this hospital that overlooks this football stadium. And when you talk about Iowa, there is something there. The connection is real. So even when I see it now, it it moves me. It will never not move me. But doing that story is probably one of the, the coolest, hardest, most rewarding thing. Like there's nothing I'll do that's ever more rewarding than that. I got to write about something that matters to me. And yes, I would be remiss not to talk about that because in, in some ways now, even now, it is just this unbelievable gesture that really in a, in a way kind of summarizes how Iowa fans feel about Iowa. Yeah. And, and uh, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. What I love about the wave, <clears throat> this is a sport that is very heavily reliant on traditions. And these are traditions that, I mean, you know this, I'm talking to a big 10 fan. These are things that came up 80 years. Floyd Rosedale is because literally a live pig was bet between the governors yes. uh, on a game forever ago. And it's really hard, and lots of schools have tried to build new tradition. They always feel like, you know, over overly run through a marketing department or like they're trying too hard. They, yes. they never feel really human. And the wave is probably the best example of building a new tradition that immediately feels authentic and real and important and and that's really something like to do that at this stage is really something that's a great point yeah like when you think of traditions the the whole notion is don't screw with them Mm -hmm. and if you try something you know like robo duck or whatever Mm -hmm. like it's gonna go bad (laughs) now this is slightly different than robo duck um but it is it is it is and it started like on a message board Right. Like, hey, what if we tried this? Right. That's like how it started, like organically, which is why it probably worked. Yeah. So, again, I know that you've got you've got an offense that needs to play better and you have Kirk Ferentz who's been there forever. But there is like if you've been it and you've seen it, there is, I think, a connection Iowa fans feel just like a a sense of, I don't know, belonging Mm -hmm. and appreciation. Like it's just it's just so cool. And you hit on the head. It, It just sort of emerged randomly. And it's become this thing. And, and I can't think of any sector of college football where that happens normally and gracefully. Yeah. You might recall on the Auburn episode that rooting for the Tigers was compared to a roller coaster where the lows were a necessary component of the exhilarating highs. And after talking to Lucy, Adam, and Patrick, I feel like being a fan of Iowa is a little more like driving a minivan. And I don't mean that negatively. I happily drive a minivan myself. And sure, every once in a while, you really mash the pedal on the old Pacifica. But the point of a minivan is not seeking thrills. It's sturdy, it's dependable, and you get to brag about things like how easily the rear seats fold down. Minivans are great, but they obviously have a ceiling. Kind of like Iowa football. I am comforted, though, that it doesn't seem like Iowa fans care what me or anyone else on the outside thinks of this retro machine Kirk Ferentz has built. They have their own complaints and issues, but Iowa fans are not trying to win over the rest of us. Now, next week's fan base, I think, cares a little bit more about national perception. We'll find out when we talk to Notre Dame fans. Thanks again to this week's guest, to the very talented Michael Serber for producing We're Not All Like This, to Homefield Apparel for sponsoring us, and to you for listening to us. Give us a review on your podcast platform of choice, and tell a friend if you think they'd like the show.